Thank you for listening to Cure the Culture with Nia and Ebony. On this podcast, we facilitate conversations about health in the Black community and answer your questions through a research-based lens. We create a safe haven for Black patients and Black healthcare professionals to share their unique medical journeys. Tune in now for guidance, personal stories, and the latest research on everything Black health. Hi, Eb. Hi, how are you today? (laughs) I'm great. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Cure the Culture with Ebony Gadsden and Nia Phillips. We are so happy and excited to have you guys here in the beginning of, well, the end now of January. We're so excited for the episodes we have coming up in February, but we're even more excited to be having Miss Amanda Mondesur, who will be talking to us about midwives today. So we will introduce her a little later. I did want to ask Ebony, like I ask her every time, how her week is going and how things are going with her. I'm doing okay. We're definitely coming out of the winter blues. I feel like whenever the semesters change for a lot of my Princeton students, it gets a lot more optimistic. So those are making for better sessions and less burnout for me as a provider. So I feel pretty okay. How are you? Change is not always a bad thing. I think, especially in a new semester, I remember, you know, getting new notebooks, new pencils, new pens, like new classes, and you're not in the shithole yet, you know, like. (laughs) Right. You got a fresh start. You're starting off with an A. Yeah. Yep, exactly. I've been good. I really wanted to start doing, because I feel like we talk a lot about the pandemic, and I wanted to start talking to you about maybe something that was positive that happened to your week. So you told me about your clients have been in a better mental headspace, but I actually have been having issues with my car and I had a couple garages take a look at it. And the other day my light came on, all my sensors are on in my car. So I don't know if it's truly in a, like they told me it's the computer, it's the computer. It's not anything with your transmission. Your engine's fine. We've run all the tests. It's fine. But all the sensors could come on. But in Montreal, it snows here like every day. (laughs) So, and it's like negative 10, negative 16, negative 20 degrees out. Not Celsius. (laughs) Not Celsius, Fahrenheit. (laughs) And so I'm driving to work and my light comes on and it's flashing. And this is not something that I knew all my sensors were on, but it was flashing the tire pressure light. I drive two hours every day to work and two hours back. And I remember being like, okay, I'm in the middle of nowhere, very rural area that I'm in. And I pulled over at the gas station. I put air in on my tires, but I'm still freaking out because I'm like, if it's a slow leak, because all my sensors are on, I can't see what tire was affected or anything. So I call this mechanic when I finally get to work. I did get there safely. And I'm like, hey, I know they're always booked because it's a very small town. I'm like, can you take a look at it? I have this drive. And he said, no problem. I'll, I'll bring it in. So he tells me, he's like, I think it's your computer. I did redo all the pressures in your tires. They're all fine. You just got to take it to the dealership. I was like, okay, no problem. How much do I owe you? And he's like, no, it's like, you don't have to pay me anything. Completely free. Just call me. Cause he's like, I can't tell you what's wrong with it. So just the only payment that I would want is that you call me and tell me what they said at the dealership because it's a Jeep and Jeep is pretty specific with the computer system. And I thought that was a really nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. That was a random act of kindness. Random act of kindness. So my goal this week is to repay the act of kindness. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. There's mm-hmm. so much going on. I think I'm going to buy someone's groceries or just do something really nice for my staff because I feel that was just such a nice thing to do for it. I was taking out my wallet. I had my card out ready to pay him. He had it the whole day and he was like, no, you don't have to pay me anything. So I thought that was really nice. Yeah. A nice stress reliever because when does a mechanic ever do that? 
No, you look at them and they're like, it's $50. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) You bought your car in $150. I looked at it, $150. I diagnosed it. It was diagnosis. (laughs) I had to do it, you know. So are you ready to talk about our fun fact for today, our science fact of the day? Yes. I'm especially excited about this fact. This fact is super relevant to our topic and our guest today. So we have a fact about a grand midwife. I was educated today by our guests. They used to call them granny midwives. And granny midwives, that's the term that is not used anymore. So we use grand midwives now. They used to amplify them because we don't want to downplay what they did. They were responsible for basically birthing the entire slave population. So all of the Black people that you see, especially down South in the 17th century and the early 20th century, they were birthed by grand midwives. You know as well as I do, nobody was bringing their slave to the hospital to be birthed. These things were done. And I bet you on some of those plantations, they birthed some of the master's kids too. Let's tell the truth. Exactly. And this was done through hands-on experience, which obviously there's didactic book work. But I think we always say it never translates. You have to know it, but it never translates into what you're actually physically doing every day. Ebony, I remember when you were telling me in training. Experiential learning. It's the best mm-hmm. way to learn. And so they basically birthed the entire generation of Black people in the South. And we have a fun fact about Maud Collin, who was an African-American nurse and midwife born in 1898 in Quincy, Florida. She was orphaned at the age of six with her other 12 sisters. Can you imagine having 12 sisters? My grandpa had 10. Oh my gosh. My mom had 10 siblings. Like I cannot even Mm -hmm. believe. And she was raised by her uncle, Dr. Williams Gunn, who was a physician in Tallahassee. And she began taking nursing courses in Tuskegee in 1922. And she moved to South Carolina a year later. And she began to basically do these home births. And she offered services to families all the way up to 400 miles away. And she, over the course of her career, was responsible for giving birth to over 650 babies. And I'm assuming most of them were Black, Indigenous, or immigrants. And there was a famous picture of her holding a baby that she had just delivered that basically amplified the need for nursing and midwifery care. It led to $20,000 worth of donations, which... Back then, that's a lot of money. That's a million-dollar grant. Yeah. (laughs) And it led her to open the Maud E. Collin Clinic, and where she basically offered care to women until she passed away. And she didn't retire until late into the 1971. So she was given many awards by the governor where she was located, and she continued to be an advocate for Black women all the way up until her death in 1990. So I thought we would amplify the voices of grand midwives and recognize and take the moment to understand that none of us would probably be here today, especially in America, without the contributions of midwives and doulas, the people who originally started and founded safe birthing for Blacks. Shout out to grand midwives and shout out to midwives who have made this profession. So Ebony, are you excited to be speaking to Amanda, who is a midwife? Yes. She's going to be clarifying a lot of things about what midwives do, about their role, and about how they amplify the voice of women who are going through the birthing process. So let's get to talking to her. 
Okay, we're so excited to have Amanda Mondesir here with us today. She is a New York State licensed midwife practicing midwifery in New York. She graduated from the State University of New York Downstate Medical Center in 2012 with a Master's of Science in Midwifery. Midwifery. Is it midwifery or midwifery? Midwifery. (laughs) She serves primarily low-income women and women of color whom are most at risk for maternal morbidity and mortality. She has practiced in the hospital, at health centers, and now practices performing home births. Amanda is a very proud mom of three, all of whom were birthed with midwives. So thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us. We really appreciate you taking your time. I know how crazy it is with you between births and also raising your own children to be sacrificing your time with us today and joining us. So I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you and you're welcome. I am so excited to be here. So thank you so much. So our first question for you today is what we ask everybody who comes on, nutritionists, physicians, PAs, NPs, we ask everybody, what inspired you to become a midwife? What was it about your own personal experience growing up or during your pregnancies? As I was reading on your website, what kind of triggered that in your mind that this is what you wanted to dedicate your life to? Well, to be honest with you, I never knew about midwives as a young girl growing up. I've never even, I think it was something so foreign, the concept of midwifery was never something that was close to me until I had my first child, until I was pregnant. And I always say I got pregnant at a really young age. And even at 14, I just knew that those regular OB routine cares that I was receiving were inadequate. I remember complaining to my dad and saying, you know, this guy doesn't know me. And I don't think he's going to make any effort to know me. You can feel it. You can feel when someone's sort of giving you routine care and like nothing more. You barely make eye contact, routine questions and okay, next. And I remember telling my dad, like, I don't feel, I don't, this is not what, that feeling that we get, that it's just not the right route. So my dad at the time was working for a local radio station. It was a public radio station. And he said, well, why don't you look into midwives? Why don't you see if my insurance will cover midwifery care? And I looked into it and I found a local midwife and it's been history since then. It changed the trajectory of my life. I went from these short little 10 minute visits waiting hours in a waiting room to care that was inclusive of the woman. I mean, I remember the midwives would have me do my own dipstick and read them out to make sure that you know, I understood what that meant doing the urine dipstick. So it's little things like that, that just show that you are included in this. Like, shouldn't that be the norm? And it was. And I had a beautiful delivery. My mom, who had had five kids naturally, said that was the most gentle birth. Yeah. So that's what introduced me to midwifery care. And I swear, I tell people all the time, midwifery care changes you. It changes you when it's delivered in the right way. So that's what brought me to it. Just hearing about your experience and how much it transformative it was for you. I wonder if you feel like it's important about when patients seek out midwifery care, especially for that birthing process. Like, was the timing important for you? And would you recommend that for patients who are seeking out that care? Would I recommend midwifery care or would I recommend? Like what timing? Like, when do you see a midwife? Mm -hmm. So you see a midwife in the same time frame that you would see whatever care provider you were looking into when you're pregnant. I transitioned from the OB care to midwifery care. I think I was in my sixth month and I have zero regrets. None. Absolutely none. The only thing that's different with midwifery care is that we really get to know our clients, right? And you 
can't really do that in a short amount of time. I mean, it can be done, but it's always best to really get to know people because then the care that you deliver is individualized to that person. And when you're dealing with birth, you need to know I swear, you need to know that person. It's not a case where you can just come in. I always say it's not like going to a podiatrist. No disrespect to podiatry. You know, if you get a good podiatrist, you're golden. You don't necessarily have to share and divulge. Right. (laughs) It's a little more personal and intimate. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So to be honest with you, it really doesn't matter what time in care you seek out midwifery care. If you feel like the care that you're receiving is inadequate, I always say you go. You don't waste time, not in pregnancy. It's not the time to... Dilly-dally. Yeah. (laughs) Or to second-guess your own judgment and to second-guess your gut, which I think is something I really try to, you know, teach patients early on, no matter what I'm seeing them for, is your gut feeling is your gut feeling. You really have to go, like how you said, Amanda, you felt that you felt disconnected from your provider. And that would have been a traumatic experience for you to deliver with someone you didn't feel connected with. Um, And you didn't feel understood by and you didn't feel like was making an attempt to connect with you because that is ultimately the first person who holds your baby, the first person who gives you your baby and the person who coaches you through something that is very beautiful, but is also very different, especially when it's your first birth. I like commend you. And I always like to tell women too, and I don't know if you do any of your young ladies come and see you or any of the people who are giving birth, come and see you before they're pregnant? Do they ever come and try and see you while they're planning their pregnancy? A few people do. A few people have mapped out their care in that way. But I just want to go back to one thing that you said that's so important. And that's listening to your intuition. Because I think as women, it's so important. We get that nudge. And I always talk about that little something that we get. And we know. And we're just taught not to trust it. And midwifery care, it teaches you. You're taught, listen, listen to that still small voice. It will never lead you wrong. And I think as women, Amanda, honestly, regardless of if it's birth or not, but specifically during birth, it can become so complicated. I think we're taught as a society, and maybe Ebony can speak to this too, is as women, I see all the time in my practice, women come in and they're crying and they're like, well, maybe I'm just emotional or maybe it's just hormones or maybe, you know, my spouse told me X, Y, and Z. And it's just like, no. You're experiencing pain. Yeah, and it's legitimate (laughs) and it doesn't have to be validated. It doesn't have to be validated by anyone. Yeah, absolutely. Oftentimes your body validates it for you. And this is what I love about my practice is we really value the body as a valid source of information. The body keeps the score, as Bessel van der Kolk said. Like, that's just so true. And if we're talking in terms of Black women, this is stuff that oppressive culture has taken from us. And we need to find our way back to really using our bodies as information. It will never, ever steer you wrong. And I always tell people looking in the toilet, I mean, there's so many people who don't just do the little things every day. It might sound gross, but check in with what secretions are coming out of your body. And then, you know, check in with how you're feeling when you wake up in the morning. Is your sleep restful? Are you waking up in the middle of the night? There's so many things that your body and your mind are trying to tell you, but you just have to listen. I find that even I struggle with that, going to the doctor's office or going to seek a healthcare provider and being like, are they going to tell me what I'm crazy or that I'm making things up? And it can be kind of this experience. But I thank you for speaking to that because I do think it's so important, especially during birth. 
So you do say that people do sometimes come in and seek care before they... When they're in the planning process, like preconception, it's not the norm. I think that for midwifery, it's something that most women, I wouldn't say all, because this is changing. The tide is definitely changing. Women are definitely becoming more interested in personalized, individualized care and the care that midwives provide. But for the most part, it's something that I'm finding that women are coming to after, like just like me, like after I went the route that you think you're supposed to go, you go to whatever doctor or whatever OBGYN, whatever hospital, whatever. It's not really in the forefront of most women's mind until we start to realize that there are too many deficiencies. And we're like, that's not where I want to go. Or recently I've been getting more calls from women who are like, look, I don't really like hospitals. I really don't like hospitals. And I think that this is a dangerous time to be in a hospital. And it's not really something you think about before. It's not the norm, but women do come to us in that preconception state. Well, especially during a pandemic, I could imagine, I mean, I've seen it. I work in a rural area and when there's not a lot of options, I do feel like even when there is options, you should always explore them. Just because there is a local hospital system that is offering care does not mean that's the providers you are forced to see or that you should see or that is for you. And I've experienced that myself. So I just strongly, like Amanda saying, advocate for women to, if you don't at any point in your pregnancy, it's never too late to transition your care. I even encourage, because, you know, when you're becoming pregnant two to three months before and even six months before, try and think if it's something that is planned, try and think about what you're most comfortable with. I mean, people, when they have babies, they interview pediatricians and they interview their providers to make sure that they think that it's a good fit. And I feel like, why would you not do the same for the person who's going to deliver. You know, it's so funny. It's so funny. I just said the same thing. I'll tell you about that. So I said the same thing. I have a podcast. I just started my own podcast. Thank you so much. And I said the same thing. It's like you would interview a nanny, right? (laughs) You would interview someone to come and clean your home. You don't just allow people. But it's so funny how, and I don't really blame women for this. It's just the way that we do things. It's just normal for us. We go to the doctor, we go to the OBGYN, a midwife. What's that? I even get that question all the time. Like, what is a midwife? And you know what? Let me explain what a midwife is. Yes, that's a great, it was in our question. So that's a great, let's transition there, Amanda. I know. Oh, it's really important that we talk about what a midwife is and the role she'll play. So a midwife is a healthcare provider that takes care of women from menstruation up until menopause and even post-menopause. We're primary healthcare providers, but we definitely specialize in normal physiologic birth. That is our specialty, normal physiologic birth. And it's so weird how in so many other advanced uh, nations, some third world countries too, midwives are the primary caregivers for pregnant women. The only time you'd see an OB is if something is wrong. Like some of our schooling was done in the UK. Their system is kind of similar to ours too, but even there, midwifery is the norm. Everyone knows what a midwife is. A midwife is the one who will be attending your birth as long as you are low risk. And home birth is built in this system here. It's really fragmented in this country. Home birth is kind of, you're out there in a you know private world, but in the UK and a lot of other more advanced nations, home birth is built into the system. 
So it's not like you're doing something outside of the system. You're doing it all within. I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly, but it's all within the system. It's all built in. There's no fragment. And here it's so fragmented. You're kind of outside. It's counterculture. It's out of network. Definitely is out of network. Yeah. So things are changing though. I would say so. We have a a midwife who is a part of our hospital system now. Even when I was doing my rotations in OB, I remember seeing midwives more frequently. And before that, when we're taught, I mean, in Western medicine, it is you, when you're pregnant, you go to see an OBGYN. I was starting to incorporate, and I was actually starting to see the OBGYNs talk about midwifery more and say, this is something that midwives have really excelled in. And this is something that we need to get back to. This is what ultimately has the birth, best birth outcomes. And it's not really about the title that you're doing, what your title is, uh, but I think it's about what is going to produce the best birth outcomes. And like Amanda is saying, if you're high risk, And you may potentially at some point in your care, even if it's not planned, need an emergency cesarean, then maybe an OBGYN, especially Amanda, maybe you could go and talk a little bit about some conditions that may be considered high risk. Because I do think that's important for people to delineate. And when is it appropriate for your midwife to refer you to an OB? And when is it maybe more appropriate for you to say, my birth is going, my pregnancy has been has been going really well. I maybe not be connecting to my OB the way I want. And now I want to seek care from a midwife. Can we talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I kind of want to touch on something you said too, because I want to make it clear that most uh, certified nurse midwives and certified midwives work in hospitals. 98% of us work in the hospital. Only a few of us are doing home birth. So when I was saying counterculture, I was referring to home birth and how it's not built into the system as an option that women can take with their regular care providers as something that they want to go forth with. But for the most part, we take care of low-risk women, and that's what makes this whole thing very safe. Low-risk women are the primary bulk of who we take care of. There are some midwives and it's common for us to take care of some high-risk clients too in conjunction with, so you co-manage with an OB. For the most part, midwives, we take care and we manage births of low-risk women. Now, what I want to say about that is this, and this is what I've come to find, and, and I think this is really important. I think that this whole category of being high-risk, it's overblown. Like I've had some women come to me and say, well, the OB told me that I'm 40 years old and so therefore I'm high risk. I'm like, let's talk about what risk factors really exist here and what that really means. Because labeling a woman high risk without explaining to her how it makes her high risk. What about my situation makes me high risk? And please explain how that will make my pregnancy and my labor unfold in a way that needs to be managed differently ask questions. Don't just take titles and don't just take stamps of this is what you are. Ask for explanations. I think the Black women are a little bit shy to really speak up. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that even me, given the information that we both know, Amanda, and we may sit here and yes, yes you in the visit, but afterwards I may find a new provider. But I do want us to stand up more for ourselves in the exam room. I've even had to take a step back and be like, well, why am I apologizing? Because I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just here asking questions that I feel like you should have the answers to. And if you don't have the answers for them, it's always okay to get back to me. But I just think that 
it can be such a tricky phenomenon. I don't know, Ebony, if you've even experienced this. Me and Ebony have actually seen the same healthcare provider, didn't know we saw the same doctor. We both had the same experience and we didn't know until after the fact. We didn't even always went to the same place. And then when we started investigating, I was like, wait, was it this place on this corner? And she said, yeah. And was it this hospital system? Yes. And was it this? Did you go to the same person that I went to? And we both had a feeling of just assumptions. I think that it's also very important here to say that you can work in conjunction with, like PAs work in conjunction with physicians. And I think our profession has done an amazing job of making the multidisciplinary approach possible. And I think a lot of the times healthcare providers get too much, I'm not going to get into the politics behind it, but it's about the patient's care. So ultimately, if more people involved means the patient gets better care, why are we upset when more people get involved? I think that's really important to put your ego aside when you're talking. And this is something that I think, Ebony, you know, psychologists do amazing and therapists do amazing because they have to. I wanted to just speak on that because I think that as healthcare providers, we have to make sure we're doing what's best for the patient and not what's best for our ego. And I agree with you, Amanda, not every woman who is labeled, you have to be very careful because that can cause a lot of anxiety for a patient. Now you just put a label on them without explaining it to them. Can you speak on gestational diabetes, obesity, preeclampsia or history of it, and maybe high blood pressure in pregnancy and when maybe it's appropriate for you to be managing a patient with the help of other healthcare professionals? Absolutely. So what I want to say is that, yes, I think that what you're saying is so important too. I think that what you're saying about us working in collaboration with one another, I think that's the best approach, right? It is the best approach. We need obstetricians. And guess what? We need midwives too. We absolutely need midwives too. But I'm not going to run away from the contention. And I think that a lot of times this is a field that is very specific with regards to there being contention between midwives and OBs. And I'm not going to run away from that. And, And I think it needs to be addressed head on. And it stems from the attempt to eradicate Not just the Black midwife, but the midwife in this country. We were speaking about that earlier. So do you want to talk a little bit about the history of that? Yeah. I'm going to talk on it briefly because there's so much that can be said. But I will tell you this. Grand midwives, um, midwives who used to exist in this country, were literally stamped out. Our profession nearly died in this country. It came to purple fever, which is where women, after their labor, would develop a fever and they die. They develop infection. It wasn't just a fever. They develop infection after delivery and they would die. A lot of women, this was happening so often. It's called the purple fever. And it was blamed on midwives. It was blamed on the fact that we were dirty, that we didn't wash our hands. And it nearly saw the eradication of our profession. We don't even call it a profession. We call this a calling because we believe that you're called. We are called to do this work. This is healing work. Because the field of obstetrics, which was really, uh, it was newer at that time, women were not delivering in hospitals, they decided that they were going to co-opt this profession. And they blamed it on us, and they blamed it on the midwife. And it was later found out that because we were now doing a birth in hospitals where the obstetrician was handling the cadaver, and with the same hands he was handling the cadavers with, he'd go and then deal with laboring mommy. So, of course, there was purple fever and women died. And so I think it's important that I just pay homage to those women who sacrificed their profession and their everything so that we could be here today 
but this contention needs to be dealt with and it's not coming from us. Let me say that because I think that sometimes if you've ever been in a situation where you've been bullied and the teacher tells you, I need you two to get along. It's like, well, hold on a second. I'm not doing anything. And I feel the need to speak out on behalf of the oppressed. And midwifery is an oppressed profession. And so I feel the need to be really, really clear about what really happens. It's not a two-way street. We're not trying to be contentious. We need OBs. We do have emergencies. There are small cases where things can go awry, even in a person who is a low-risk client, where you'll need the help of an OB. And that's why it's so important that we work together. Because yes, in the end, the client, the woman is at the heart of everything that we do. And if she is not at the forefront, and if her needs are not at the forefront of everything that we do, it's so important that we work together as colleagues. We do handle a few high-risk clients, but mainly low-risk. And I'll tell you why it's more important than ever now. It's more important than ever at this very moment that we learn to not just work together, but we listen to women and that we start taking on more women because the maternal mortality crisis in this country is not going anywhere. In fact, not only is it not going anywhere, it's getting worse here. The time for us to be speaking in a way that's conjoined, it's over. When Black women are dying at the rates that we're dying, when we're going into the hospital and coming back saying, I am traumatized, I need to see a therapist, I need help. I can't diminish these women. I can't diminish all the women who didn't understand that you can manage labor, you can manage birth. You absolutely can. You don't need to resort to the same tactics that your friends and your mom and and everyone else has resorted to. Natural birth is coming to the forefront because it is so much safer. It is. And if we talk about cesarean section, the rates of cesarean deliveries, it has been increasing. I think there's some business involved, but I also think, I mean, it's more expensive to have a cesarean section than it is to have a vaginal delivery. But also I think the business of healthcare is one that's a tricky one. And I think these decisions are made, I've seen it, made very, very quickly, sometimes for the absolutely the right reasons. And other times I feel the mom feels and the other providers feel like we could have waited. And I do think natural births are safer. That's just facts that they are safer in the appropriate setting. But I also feel like what you're saying is so valid because 700 women a year die in the United States of a very preventable thing, which is childbirth should not result in the death of the mother or, and I also think something we don't talk about a lot is what happens before. So black women are also more likely to give birth preterm, which also increases the infant's risk in the immediate and near future. It's also less safe for the mother to be giving birth preterm. So I think that it's just a really interesting topic to be discussing. And I'm glad you're bringing it up because I think that Like you're saying, the mom's best interest has to be the forefront. And I do think that midwives can offer longer durations. Even the visits are longer, you know, if you think about it. Like, I remember going through my OBGYN rotation. And of course, you want to take 45 minutes to an hour with every single patient. But that's just not the business of healthcare. I do think the insurance companies have a lot to do with it. But I also think Western medicine is, we have to get back to what works. And when we talk about the history of midwives, that's what in the 1930s, the research that was coming out from the government, that's what was working. That's what was giving the best care to the patient and giving better outcomes. But I wanted to go back to your point of Black women. So we talk about Black maternal mortality. Black women are two to three times more likely to die from childbirth than white women. It's not just black women, it's indigenous women, women of color, Latino women, but specifically black women. 
And I wanted you to speak about that and why you think that is and what your experience was like giving birth now three times. And I know you use the midwife every single time, but do you feel like you made your decision, you're happy with your decision? But what are those things that women really need to be aware of as far as protecting themselves, specifically Black women, in the laboring room, whether they're laboring in the hospital, whether they're laboring at home, whatever they chose, how do they protect themselves and how do they advocate for themselves? Yeah, empowerment. Absolutely. One, you listen to your gut. Let your intuition guide you. The way that you feel in the care of the person who is caring for you matters. And it's really important. And I think it's something that's completely ignored. Like no one says, what do you feel? What does your gut tell you? Do you feel like this is the person who you want in attendance? Because they don't deliver babies. And I say that all the time. We don't deliver babies. The woman delivers her own baby. With regards to maternal mortality in this country, how a woman feels, let me tell you something. It matters. I mean, these things are routine. Like for the most part, there are very few midwives, doctors, care providers within the maternal healthcare setting that are going to forget to order certain tests or certain sonograms. I think that that part is on par, right? It's standard. It's not really what's missing from the equation, right? So that's not why women are dying. Women are not dying because they're not getting the right lab tests. (laughs) Women are dying from preventable diseases. And I am telling you, that the reason that I'm speaking so much on how do you feel in the care of this person is because someone who's providing you with care that is exceptional, someone who's providing you with care that encompasses more than just the physical and the physiologic, the emotional aspect of this, the spiritual aspect of this, but let me just talk on the emotional aspect. It matters. That is a part of this process, a part of this equation. How do you feel in the care of this person? I'll explain to you why and how that translates to maternal mortality. If you're going to a care provider who really takes care of you, both emotionally, physically, physiologically, then it's really difficult for you to develop things like high blood pressure, gestational diabetes. You're not going to just be bleeding out and have a hemorrhage during your labor because that person is really taking care of you. That's something you feel. That's not something that you can just quantify with. That is something that you can feel. You know when you're being taken care of. And not just that, when someone's properly taking care of you, So for instance, let me make this personal. Let me tell you about how I do things. When I'm taking care of my women, when I select the women that I take care of or that I choose to come on board with me, I always say that there has to be that personal connection. This is a little bit different than other fields. There has to be that personal connection because when I place my hands on you, I have to transmit nothing but positivity. And believe it or not, you are transmitting energy with your hands, As healthcare workers and people who touch other human beings, please understand that you are carrying energy within you. I think you had talked about this, Ebony, and the fact that we store things in our body. We absolutely do. So when I place my hands, I have to make sure that when I'm touching a pregnant abdomen, I need to personally make sure and I have to feel that there's really that connection with that woman. And that woman is really connecting with me. High blood pressure is preventable. So are so many of the other maladies that are taking us out. Black women are not taken care of. And I think that's like the underlying problem is that we're not taken care of by society. I think we're not taken care of by our healthcare professionals as well as we need to be. And I also think that we do a lot of, I can come later. And I think that's traumatic within itself. Go ahead, Amanda. I want to let you finish. I just wanted to highlight what you just said is I don't think Black women are being well taken care of. I mean, if you just look at the rates of Black mortality and also it's not just mortality, it's like morbidity. So it's gestational diabetes, it's obesity, it's high blood pressure, it's 
What was your last pregnancy like? It's mental health. I just don't think we're taken care of by anyone. <laughs> so there you go. So now we're really talking about it, right? So I can't talk about high blood pressure. I can't talk about the other maladies that are taking us out until I talk about how we feel as human beings walking on this planet. The Black woman is severely, she's completely neglected. That's the word I'm looking for. She's neglected. So the numbers are just speaking to what I'm saying. This care has to encompass more than just taking our vitals and making sure that there's a fetal heart tone. This is care that's integrative. How are you doing as a human being? Where can I help as the midwife? Because, yep, I'm trying to help you. This is personal for me. I'm trying to eradicate this thing as a one-woman show. Just joking. <laughs> but I'm serious. The women that I meet, I swear, I know that if I can prevent her from being obese in pregnancy. So look, some of the maladies that are taking us out directly have to do with how we're feeling. And let me explain how I'm trying to say what I'm trying to say, because I need this to become clear. If at home, you go home and you don't have the right support systems, and then you're taking care of other human beings, and you're trying to keep everyone afloat, and then you've got the news telling you that we're under attack. I mean, all of these things, and the Black woman's situation is very specific, she is at the bottom. She is. Let's be truthful here. She is at the bottom. And that's why the numbers are speaking to her eradication. That's why we're dying, because we're not taking care of ourselves. Self-internalized. Yeah, Ebony would say we need to do a little bit of checking in with ourselves. No, I wasn't going to say that, actually. I was saying that there is some blame to be given, to be cast to the healthcare system, right? For them not paying enough attention to the Black woman and her needs. But a lot of this is... As a society, how do we deal with those who are on the bottom? Black women are coming up in terms of our education, in terms of our careers, in terms of being entrepreneurs. But for the most part, her needs are not met. And that translates to disease. That translates to disease. It's not like these things are just showing up. Women are not just getting high blood pressure. I'll give you a case in point. I had one of my clients who's due right now. <laughs> She's a sweetheart. And she works in the healthcare field. And her pressures continuously, every time she'd monitor herself at home, she'd be like, I'm seeing my pressures are elevated. And I said, all right, we need to talk about this. We need to get to the bottom of this. This woman is a very healthy woman. She exercises, she eats healthy, but her job was draining her. It's exceptionally stressful. So I said, let's get rid of the causative agent. Let's get rid of the causative agent. And what happened once she stopped working? What happened once she was put on, I wouldn't call it rest, her pressures were normalized. So there we just got rid of someone who could very well be labeled high risk, no longer high risk, because we dealt with the causative agent. And of course, most women won't be able to quit their jobs, but there are other things that women can do. Even just you joining with her in that way to problem solve and look for solutions and say, what can we take off your plate? It's, a, it's absolutely therapeutic. Because if we're looking at even a model like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that foundational tier is how you clothe, feed, shelter yourself. So we can't even begin to talk about sophisticated concepts like how I feel inside. I also feel like the American system is not really designed for women to do well with pregnancy. The fact that you can't take off and you can't be paid, even if you have a pre-existing condition, like you're saying Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I know so many women that go 39, 40 weeks because they cannot take off. They have children at home. They cannot take off. Who is going to put food on their table at night? And they literally tell me, I would love to go home. I would love to do what my OB or my midwife is telling me that I need to do, but I can't. 
And in Canada, I mean, they still have higher rates of black mortality rates. So it is everywhere. But I will say that there is a period of time their postpartum and prepartum care is more extensive. And they care for their women in a more I think, inclusive and holistic way. Absolutely. And that's important. That's what separates pregnancy and this state from other disease states. It's not a disease state. So it's really weird sometimes to talk about pregnancy within the context of that type of care. But for the most part, pregnancy and pregnant women must be dealt with differently. And that's why I know that the the concepts that I talk about are a lot different, but I'm not going to stray away from them. I can't talk about disease until I talk about that human being because there's a person living. There's a person living. And the reason we develop diseases, there are reasons. Like, for instance, you talked, Ebony, and I thought it was so salient about us storing energy in parts of our body, right? And there was a time when I was going to school, the midwifery program, and it was so stressful. Just dealing with life as a Black woman, not having my needs met, and still trying to climb that ladder. And I remember having to repress so much of my voice. And I developed this huge mass on my thyroid. Women have got to start making yourself a priority. And I mean, I talk about things like writing letters. I talk about doing small things that make a huge change in your life. Maybe you won't be able to take your job and say, you know what, I'm going to just take six months off or a year off. Maybe that won't be the case, right? For most of us, it's not. But maybe you can do small things for yourself, like waking up in the morning and doing 10 minutes of meditation. Activating your support network. Absolutely. If you have one, if you have one, but if you do have one, by all means, activate it. Exercising. This is how we prevent maternal mortality right here. It's not in the system. No one's coming to save us, guys. I really appreciate you just bringing light to so many. I would say that pregnancy is like bearing a fruit. When something bears a fruit, it's not that it's a disease state, like you're saying. It's a time of stress on your body, yes, but given the right circumstances and the right support network and the right conditions, It is a completely normal and beautiful process that can be healthy and result in mom and baby and the family and the fruit, the infant and the mom's experience being normal and healthy and safe. And when there is not conditions like we have in the United States, unfortunately, where we can support mothers in this way, we just don't support especially Black women in the way that we need to be doing. And so... How did you advocate for yourself, Amanda, when you were pregnant and when you were going throughout your birth experiences? Well, I always say that the time that you're giving birth is not the time. You're way too vulnerable to advocate for yourself. And I'm so blessed. I feel so lucky to have had a dad who steered me in the direction of midwives who told me to read. I mean, I read Ina May Gaskin's Spiritual Midwifery cover to cover when I was a 14-year-old teenage mom. I read it cover to cover and it was my, I carry it everywhere because I just, I've never heard of birth spoken of in a way that was so normal and in a way that was, she speaks of birth like a pleasurable event. As she should. As she should. And as I myself am striving to do when I talk about birth, birth can be pleasurable. It can be beautiful. It should be joyous. 
so I was introduced, like I said, to midwifery as a young kid. But with respect to my other two pregnancies, I knew after going through uh, the two different routes, I already knew that it wasn't even a question. I already knew that I was going to always seek out midwives for any pregnancy that I had. And they've always been sweet. So my second labor was a lot more difficult and challenging than my first. My first, I was 14. I was healthy. I didn't have money to buy junk food. So I was making whatever my mom cooked. (laughs) (laughs) I was making whatever my mom cooked at home. And so I was fit and I was healthy and I had a really wonderful, difficult, of course, you know, birth is not easy. It's challenging. And there's a lot of it that I didn't understand at that age. The element that involves the psyche, it's activated. And At 14, I don't know if I really understood how to best manage that. And I think I I know I did the best I could. A lot of young black women are, are, we go through a lot. We go through a lot in terms of sexual um, molestation. There's so many untold stories and untold. But either way, I know that my midwifery care was therapeutic. It was therapeutic for me to see midwives as opposed to routine care. And all of my pregnancies, all of my labors were manageable. Now, I highlight the second one because I was 24 at the time. I still sought out midwifery care, but I was really unhealthy. I myself was really unhealthy. I did not properly understand the role of nutrition with regards to how my body would function. And I wasn't eating properly. I was not. I was absolutely not eating properly. There you go. You talk about high blood pressure. You talk about gestational diabetes. You talk about, you know, other maladies that are taking women out. Don't incorporate a healthy diet into your lifestyle. And you are setting yourself up for a disease. Yes, you are. You absolutely are. Pregnancy is not the time to ignore the rules. No, no, just the opposite. Because now it's you and infant that have to, right. Yes, an infant who is growing bone, who is growing muscle, who is developing. So it is so important that you undertake and you really follow through with a very healthy diet. I recommend that I'm a huge advocate of greens, green juices. They are completely therapeutic. They really, really, really help to condition your body so that when you're birthing, you don't have to worry about things like hemorrhage. You don't have to worry about your pressure skyrocketing. I'm not experiencing that. I'm not experiencing that. It's a total 180. In the hospital, I would see labors go on for hours. I mean, she's one centimeter. Now she's two centimeters. And it's been, you know, hours that when we're inducing a woman, I mean, hours. And even if the woman is not being induced, even if she's coming in of her own because she feels like she's ready and she's maybe four or five centimeters, things would take so long. And what would happen is women would end up tired. Right. You're such a wealth of information, Amanda. And I just want to really dig into how you got involved in midwifery, right? Especially as a Black woman, I feel like we definitely need more Black women in the field. And did you have a mentor, right? Like, did you have someone who, like, really took, I mean, besides the midwives you sought care from when you were first pregnant, did you have someone, because your second pregnancy, can you tell us about the circumstances of why you may have not been taking care of yourself? Were you in school? So I was introduced, like I said, to midwifery from my dad. And I found out about midwives. I did a lot of research at that age. And like I said, I delivered with a midwife, but I've never had a mentor. 
I've never had a mentor. I've always looked. I've always wanted someone to guide me on this journey because there's so much I'm uncovering. And I'm like, God, I wish I knew that. But it's quite all right because I believe that everyone's path is what it's supposed to be. And if you didn't find that, it means that maybe you're supposed to be someone's mentor. Maybe no one's supposed to be your mentor. Maybe this is how the universe has designed it for you. You're the pioneer. And you'll be a lot of other people's mentor, right? Absolutely. But with regards to me, no, I wasn't in school at the time. I was just a single mom who was depressed (laughs) and eating my troubles away. That's what was happening. I was eating my troubles away. It is. It's absolutely real. And I always say that a lot of times Black women literally and physically have too much on our plates. We do. Because we're trying to make ourselves feel better. We're trying to make ourselves feel better. We're trying to eat away our stress. And I was definitely trying to eat my stress away. And pregnancy, I'm like, all right, cool. There we go. And I was eating unhealthily. And I remember I had a healthcare professional tell me, um, you need to gain more weight. <laughs> you need to be gaining a pound every time I see you. And I'm just like, really? I ballooned up to 200 pounds. That's another reason why you know I don't personally employ these very rigid standards of... No, because everybody's different. Yeah, how they should be. <laughs> Everyone's different and what works for one human being may not necessarily work for the other. So no, unfortunately, I didn't have, or fortunately, who knows, I didn't have a mentor and I sought one. I remember telling someone, I was a friend of mine, God, I really would love a mentor in this profession. And he said, you know what? I didn't have a mentor either. And he was in a totally different profession. And he explained that sometimes that that's the way that the universe has it. You are meant to be the mentor to other women. And with regards to Black women in this profession, we need more. It's the call to action, listeners. Call to action, listeners. Yes, midwifery is, I think this is in our blood. Let me just be a thousand percent with you. I think that this healing work and this healing art, I think it really, really is lying untapped. It's potential that needs to come out. I think that there are so many caring women who can really help. I think personally midwifery care helped me believe in other women because like a lot of other women, I didn't have strong relationships with other women. And I think that through meeting a lot of the women that I cared for, I really, really love. Yeah. You realize how strong and like, oh my God, strong and sweet and caring and especially the most oppressed of them. Black women are so dope. Yeah, we are. I'm happy to be in this club. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Never giving up my membership. You're going to have to drag it. (laughs) I think that we're so misunderstood and just... I kid you not, there have been times when I needed to lean on someone and I've been able to lean back on my Black clients. Like, But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Black women are severely underrepresented in this field and we need more. And I always say, this is not a profession you come into because you want to make money. Please don't, please don't, please don't. That happens enough <laughs> in other fields. This is not it. We're dealing about birth. We're dealing with human life. This is not the time to think about your pockets. This is the time to think about the advancement of the human race. And this is what this is. Yeah, this is what this is. Birth is important. Naya, you had said the first person to touch your baby. That matters. That matters. I promise you, you are transmitting energy. You're transmitting energy. And I say that the first experience, your first experience on this planet matters. We've studied from birth to two months old, and we've discovered how important that time frame is. Shoot, in utero matters. In utero matters. It all matters. But that point, that baby is no longer attached to the mom, and that separation is being made, and this person is coming into the world, it has ramifications, it's important, and it needs to be an intentionally and purposefully 
gentle process. Exactly. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about breastfeeding too, because I do feel like midwives, their time frame from seeing their patients does not end after the birth. And I think OBGYNs, ACOG is trying to change those guidelines. Moms used to come in with their new baby, right? Seeing me. And when are you going to go see your OB? And it's four to six weeks. That's when the insurance company is going to pay for them to be able to be seen. And I want to talk a little bit about why postpartum care is so important, because I think people think that the risk ends after they deliver. And I think this is like the biggest misconception because a lot of especially heart issues that we see tend to occur directly in Black women, specifically like cardiomyopathies. We tend to see it after birth and depression, Amanda, postpartum depression, baby blues. Can you talk a little bit about not just breastfeeding, but ways we can prevent and support mom and baby in the postpartum care and a little bit about how you guide your women through their postpartum experience? Sure. And let me just be honest with you. My practice is around three to four years old. And it's now that I'm really seeing the importance of that continuity. So the way that I see my clients and a lot of other home birth midwives is you see them one to two days after the birth. You see them two to three weeks and then six to eight weeks after. So there are three postpartum visits. But with me and a lot of other home birth midwives, we're on call 24-7. So we're getting calls at 11 o'clock or 1 a.m. I'm having trouble breastfeeding. These things are real. Like literally, we're not taught. (laughs) The average woman is not taught how to breastfeed. And having my own child now, I just re-remembered. Like I just remembered (laughs) that it's not easy. And it's challenging and it's filled with so much, oh my God, is is my baby getting enough milk? So there needs to be more continuity of care. Women don't have to die from a hemorrhage that usually happens 24 hours after they deliver if they're being managed properly. Postpartum blues, baby blues, again, how are you feeling? Are you in touch with yourself? Yes, this is a hormonal, a huge hormonal shift. But I sincerely believe that with the right support. I had a client who had two previous babies, but every single time she had postpartum depression. And after her home birth, she was so happy. She said, I was expecting it. I didn't know how to explain to her that, I guess it's pretty simple. It was the care because you had support, because you had support, because this process was not hijacked, right? Because someone wasn't taking over because you weren't meant to be in a position you didn't want to be in for hours. Yeah, no, I understand. I think sometimes the protocols are so rigid. And I think that it's so funny, OBGYNs that are are more holistic and like, I would say more like midwives, they support the initiatives and, and they respect the initiatives that midwives have started as they were the first people to birth, especially black women. They are called crunchy. And I'm like, like they're the outliers. And I'm like, I think we should all strive to be doing the things that we know worked. I don't think that should be like the, I strongly feel that if you have a visit 24 to 48 hours after your baby's born specifically for the baby, that mom needs a visit within 24 to 48 hours with her healthcare provider for mom. And I remember we had a doula on here, Jacqueline Clemens, who had spoken about the importance of supporting mothers and not treating them as second-class citizens when they are pregnant and after they deliver birth. Because there's so much attention that is spent on the baby. And I love babies. I love seeing them and I love taking care of them. I find that there's so many emotions and things that women and spouses are dealing with after the birth. I'm here for the infant. And I really would hope, and I'm so glad that, and I advocate for midwives because I think they have the right recipe to prevent their patients from going toward a downhill spiral. And it's not that OBGYNs, I think that medicine has become so business first. 
and so dominated by insurance companies and billing and all these other things that we have taken the humanity out of healthcare. And it's a sad thing to see because who are the women that suffer the most? The women who were neglected from the beginning. The women who never even received the care that they deserve. They never even received like the baseline. We never even received that. So of course, we're the ones who are going to be the most traumatized after the birth experience. It's a re-traumatization. Yes. Do you help your women with breastfeeding? Absolutely. But again, this is what separates the care that we provide from routine care. This is way more personal. It's way more personal. And we talk about things like postpartum depression or, look, the maternal mortality crisis in this country. It's serious. It's not an issue where we can call each other names. That's such a childish thing to do. We're helping to eradicate this problem. We are the answers. Midwives are the answer to the maternal mortality crisis in this country. We are the answer. This is our profession. That should be the title of this episode. (laughs) We are the answer. We are the answer. And I say that we are the answer to this problem. It's not an issue that can't be solved. Maternal mortality and morbidity can be helped and can be solved if we took women, not simply at face value, but if we dealt with women in a more holistic way. You can't simply do the basic. You can't, not with this care. I need to know what's going on with you. I need to. Because if I don't know what's going on with you, I don't know how I can best care for you. That's what makes midwifery so different. It's not just, is the baby's heart beating? Yeah. Do you feel baby kicking? All right. I am not in any way, and I want this to be very clear, I am not deducing the work that is done in hospitals with the care providers that exist there. I'm not doing that. That's not what this is. I am simply saying that more must be done. I'm simply saying that pregnancy is a time in a person's life where attention must be paid to the mental health, to the emotional well-being of the woman, because this translates into disease when the woman is not cared for. It's not simply, well, my mom had you know high blood pressure, so I'm going to have it. So therefore, it's bigger than that. Are you being supported? Mind, body, spirit, it's all inclusive, and it comes to the forefront when you're delivering a baby. If you've delivered a baby that you know that trauma reemerges, Okay, because there are so many aspects to this that very much mirror a trauma situation where trauma occurred. A lot of times women who experience sexual abuse really, really find it difficult to deliver, especially in a setting where you're told that you have to be without underwear. Yes, you have to lay down. No, you cannot walk. There's multiple people in the room digging their fingers into your privates. It's serious. And our maternal mortality, of course, things are going to go wrong. So I think if we understood how the medications that we're taking, how the things that we're doing to women in pregnancy ultimately affect them. Yes, there are so many hormonal shifts that are going to take place once the baby's here because naturally your body's doing these things. But there's more to our depression and our emotional states than just what's happening physiologically. Are you cared for? Are you cared for? And that's what I try to do with my clients. I feel like I'm auntie. (laughs) I really do. That's beautiful because that's a real rapport. It is. And I didn't realize that I was that old that they're looking at me like my auntie. I love them. I love them. And I want the best for them because every woman that we spare, every woman that we save from being sick after her birth, from dying after her birth, is families and communities who are being spared. So This is different. Midwifery is different. And I wish I could put it in better words so that it's really understood what I'm trying to say. But it's really difficult. It's sometimes difficult to talk about midwifery within the context of 
Western medicine because this encompasses so much more. You know, I think it was really beyond Western medicine. It's been around way before Western medicine existed. I wanted to briefly talk about infant mortality rates too. I was looking at some statistics. Statistics are only half of the story, but out of 36 countries, the United States falls. And these are countries that are comparable, the United Kingdom, Canada, the same type of financial and income. We rank 33 of 36 for infant mortality and maternal mortality rate is not really any better. So I wanted you to speak on infant mortality because I think that's also very traumatic and something that can be, if you go into any type of laboring situation and you expect to come home with an infant and then you don't have one, the ramifications of that. And we have all been talking about what we need to do better, but also to protect not just mom, but the baby. I'll tell you what, I don't mean to interrupt, but the same thing applies. And I'll tell you why. What's spearheading that is prematurity, the prematurity of babies, babies who are born too early. And I tell my clients when they start to get antsy because they felt like they've been pregnant too long, one day in utero is the equivalent of seven days in a NICU. That means what your body can naturally do in one day, it will take the NICU seven days. We are a culture that relies so heavily on technology. We don't realize that our bodies are the most amazing, amazing computers, machines that will ever be developed. So how do we keep women from developing prematurely? We keep them healthy. We keep them well. Take care of their whole wellness. Yeah. Yes. That's how you keep women healthy. That's how you prevent women from dying. That's how you keep babies in utero long enough so that they will be able to survive. You keep women healthy. You take care of them. I mean, really take care of them. And you can't do that in 10 minutes once a month. You just can't. You just cannot. You can't do that. So the care that women receives has to change. And it has to encompass more than just the basics, the vitals. How are you doing? How are you coping? In which ways can I help you? I mean, it's that serious. In which ways can I, as the medical profession, in which ways can I be of service to you? How can I make sure that you feel good in your body home? This is important. This is all important. I mean, there's so much. I just want to spew. There's so many ways that we can care for women so that their babies are not being expelled from their bodies early. And how a woman feels translates into how she is walking in this earth. How am I feeling? And if I'm not feeling good, why am I not feeling good? What in my life can I change? What do I have control over? Right. Control. I also wanted to talk a little bit about people who may not even be women or who are pregnant and talk about what families can do and what their partner and how important their partner is, Ebony. And I think you could really contribute to this, how important their partner selection is. And I think that that goes, we could talk about that all day. That's like a whole nother topic. But I think building your support system, because it's something I've heard you say multiple times during this episode, Eb, why is that important? Like who you surround yourself with, not just who you pick as your healthcare provider, but who you surround yourself with when you're pregnant or when you're planning pregnancy or after your postpartum period. And what actionable things can they do to be supporting you? The most important thing that your support system can do to support you in pregnancy is access knowledge, gain knowledge as much as you can about the normalcy of this. I think that fear-based mindsets are fueled by our ignorance of this process. The more that your family knows about what a normal labor looks like, what a normal birth looks like, is the less fear that they'll have and the better they'll be able to support you. And what women need to become better at doing is expressing their need for help. 
Because like, I know for me, I've got everything on my back and I'm just like, I'm just going because that's how I know how to survive in this world as a black woman. I know how to take care of myself. If you've been in a situation where you only have yourself and you don't have anyone, you have to develop that survival mentality. Black women and women in general need to become better at expressing our desires and our needs because we can't do it all ourselves. And the way that our families can help us and our support system can help us is by educating themselves. I always tell people, read as much, read as much about the normalcy. We have enough naysayers. We have enough negative, like don't engage. But you won't even have to because you'll be able, if you know the normals, you'll know when you're not feeling differently and you'll go to see your midwife. But you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how women are dissuaded. You'd be surprised how having enough people in their ear saying, oh my God, natural birth. Are you crazy? You can't do that. Of course you have to do it in the hospital. Of course you have to take this medication. Women are not taught to listen to themselves, and we're definitely not taught to advocate for ourselves. Our support systems can help us by becoming more educated. We don't know enough. I can't tell you how much of my practice is spent just, and I love to do it honestly because I know that for everyone that I teach and every family that I help, they're going to help someone else. They're going to tell someone else, and the conversation is going to start changing. So it's no longer going to be a thing of dread. Women are not going to think about birth with dread. They're going to think about birth with positivity. We have to change the conversation. And the narrative, the narrative of it's, oh my gosh, you're pregnant. Like you want to deliver here. Woe is you. You're in for it. Like, do you understand like how hearing these things constantly will never produce anything positive energy? Yeah, that's energy being thrown at you. In pregnancy, you have to keep things as much as you can, because trust me, you're going to have life happen to you. We all have life happen to us. But it is our job to keep ourselves in a positive frame of mind. I think definitely fear body is a huge barrier to support. I think that we definitely counter anxiety through information. Anxiety is literally the fear of the unknown. It also will actually mobilize the people in your support network to no longer be in fear body because now they can do things if they're not crippled by fear. And most women need shit done. Like, let's be honest. Like, I need you to go to the store and get the groceries. I need you to cook dinner. I need you to make sure that there are diapers, like real tangible action items. That's a lot of the times when I have couples that have a newborn, I'm engaging the other partner on like, what are you doing? Because it isn't an equitable process if this person has literally birthed a child. Let's not even make it equitable. We're not talking about that anymore. I think that's also a huge way people can support literally doing things. And I think it is important for women to be able to have their agency activated. And to me, Amanda, that is the difference between midwifery and the OBGYN experience is that you're literally amplifying their empowerment. You're reminding them that they're in charge. I'm of service to you and you're running the show. Because there is a power dynamic with healthcare providers. Of course. And with Western medicine in general. And as a healthcare provider, I've seen it myself. So if I see it and I'm in it, then I know other patients who have no idea what trimesters are, like, you know, or what a blood pressure is. How are they feeling? It's a power dynamic. I encourage, even though I, I am a product of Western medicine, my whole profession, I encourage other healthcare providers to see themselves as translators, not as dictators and to engage as often as they can in shared decision-making. And if you can think about it for a second, pregnancy is not the time 
to be struggling with that power dynamic, right? I always say it's not like visiting a dentist. No disrespect to dentistry, right? You can say, you know, I'm the authority on this and I know how to fix that cab. This is like a woman is the author. A woman is the author, the narrator. She is everything when it comes to pregnancy. That power dynamic has to be squashed. It's that serious. There can be no power dynamic. She is the one who is running the show. We are in assistance to her. And it's disempowering words that we ourselves use. Nia, you talk about you being a part of it. I can relate. I've worked in the hospital system. I'm coming from the birth center. I'm coming from the clinic. We use words and I'm using them today. I, I remember saying I'm managing a birth. I'm not managing a thing. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's words where we're taking away power and empowerment of the woman is central to eradicating maternal mortality. It is central when the woman understands that, look, I can take control and I can own this process. Yes, you can be sure that you don't develop diseases. You can. You don't have to develop these things. And if you do, if you have someone in your corner who understands how to properly figure out, okay, what is the causative agent? Every disease has a causative agent. I think this whole thing of idiopathic things is coming about and we don't know where it came from and it just appeared. We don't know where it came from. We don't know where anything came from for the most part. Like everything I remember working in the clinic and, well, how did I get this? Well, you know what? We don't really know how this comes about, but here's how we can give you a treatment to treat. We can't apply that to pregnancy. We had better wisen up because this is the first time where the birth rate has been plummeted this low in this nation. This is coming to the forefront. We can't have a low birth rate. And then on top of that, women are dying when they do give birth. Are you kidding me? a different approach. We have to take a different approach to understanding what this state really means for the pregnant woman, putting her on the pedestal that she deserves to be on. Bringing forth life is the most amazing thing. I'll tell you, it trumps. It's divine. I get to witness miracles all the time. I feel so blessed to do this work, but we have to look at it different. We have to change the lens through which we are looking at pregnancy and birth, and we have to apply a more humane touch to this. The humanity is missing from this. Why are we dying? Because we're no longer dealing with this on a humane level. Wow, Amanda, we'll have to have you come back on. I mean, you're such a wealth of information. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast and where people can go to listen if they are interested in becoming a midwife or if, if they want to reach out to you or your podcast? your services? Sure. The name of my practice is Mondesi Midwifery after my last name. Mondesi means my desire and it's so appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Right. So I take care of women. I try to take care of the most downtrodden because I think if we start there, we're really going to make headway in quelled and completely eradicating maternal mortality. But the name of the podcast is Midwifery in the Mornings with Amanda. Of course, the approach that I'm taking is different. I'm not just talking about the things that we can do within healthcare. I'm talking about how the woman herself can take ownership of this process and can truly become an empowered woman because empowered women are going to change this world. Yes, they are. Just like you do every day, Amanda, and Ebony does, and I do, and anyone out there who is affecting other people, their psyche, their physical health, their birthing process. Doing this healing work is something that I don't think any of us should take lightly. I just want to recap that we all need to work as a team. 
And I think that the what Amanda has been preaching this whole time is the woman has to be, or the pregnant person has to be first. In any situation in healthcare, make sure that you advocate for yourself. Make sure that you have boundaries for everyone involved in your care and in your life, because it, it's not always just healthcare providers that affect outcomes. It's also your support system. Reach out when you feel that you're not being heard. And I hope that everyone out there has someone in their life that they can trust to advocate for them when they're at their most vulnerable, like in birth. So thank you again so much, Amanda, for joining us. Thank you for being such a wealth of information. If you're in the New York area, upstate New York, right, Amanda? Any part of New York. Any part of New York. Spoken like a true midwife. (laughs) Our fact for today was about a midwife who used to travel 400 miles. Of course, we do that. You're staying true to your profession. Yes. So thank you so much, Amanda. We'll have to have you back on to get you to speak to us some more. I'd love that. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And thank you again. All right, everybody. In the meantime, be safe, be well. And remember, you're always in control of your own body. Thank you for tuning in to Cure the Culture with Ebony Gadsden and Nia Phillips. If you have any questions or comments about the show, email us at cureforculture at gmail.com. Remember, the opinions expressed on this show, although research-based, are strictly conversational. All healthcare decisions should be discussed with your treating provider. Until next time, be safe, be well, be informed. Subscribe for a seat at the table with Ebony and Nia every other Friday at 8 p.m.